Good morning, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to United Israel World Union. Happy birthday and happy anniversary to United Israel, by the way, because today marks uh, the 70, well, let me say it this way, 77 years ago on this day, April the 17th, 1944, uh, United Israel World Union was officially incorporated in the state of New York. And uh, so that means that today we are entering into uh, our 78th year as an organization dedicated to educational, biblical, religious, educational outreach. So that's a pretty big deal, I think. Uh, and so I'm happy to say thank you to all of you who are part of what we were doing and uh, and I want to just to uh, announce that I also want to tell you a little bit about next Sunday, not tomorrow, but Sunday, April the 25th, we will be holding, according to our Constitution and bylaws, uh, our annual meeting. Now, because of COVID caution and so forth over the last couple of years, we've not been able to meet in person. Um, what we have done instead is we've done an online Zoom meeting. And uh, so that's what we intend to do this year. Our meetings are not necessarily open to the public, but people like you, our friends, our supporters, and members of United Israel are welcome to join in. Um, and the way we're going to do that is we're not going to publicly announce this. I'm not going to put a post on Facebook although I'm announcing it to this group who's watching me on YouTube and Facebook. If you would like to watch, uh, join in and participate at some level uh, in this Zoom meeting, you can email me and someone might help me out and put my email address on there, one of the other officers if you don't mind. Email me and I'll get that link to you. But that's next Sunday, the 25th. And uh, the meeting will be at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Eastern time. Now, some of you on the West Coast are thinking, wow, you know, I mean, the, the time zones are a little bit different. But we also have people that are in Israel who are going to be joining in and in other places. And that time slot works extremely well when you look at the whole picture. So if you would like uh, to receive that link and watch as we talk about not only what the last year was about in terms of United Israel, but we're going to discuss some things going forward. You'll hear from uh, our executive vice president, Ralph Bunton. You'll hear from President James Tabor. Uh, David and Patty Tyler, vice presidents, will report on things. Uh, and obviously, I'll say a few things about here in the South. So uh, I encourage you, if you're part of what we are doing you're welcome to attend. And a lot of people might say, oh, wow, a business meeting, that doesn't sound exciting. Usually there's something pretty interesting even in the business meetings with United Israel. So uh, email me, rosskaynichols at me.com, and I will make sure that you are on the invite list. Speaking of United Israel and our anniversary and our Constitution and bylaws, we are still holding true to those foundational documents which say that we are to be an educational affiliation. Uh, that's what we do. We seek to provide educational, 
informational material of a biblical nature. And so in light of that, uh, we are currently in a study from the pages of the Hebrew Bible, uh, particularly the prophets. We are in a series known as Prophet. This is our 18th class in that series. But in addition to the series, or actually I should say as a subset to that series, I am working through material. This is the fifth class in a series within the series. The Servant in Isaiah as part of the larger prophet series. Today is class five. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you up front, no cliffhanger today. I will actually tell you my view uh, without any further ado. I'm going to tell you my view on particularly the servant in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. That's where we're at right now. And uh, so I'm going to talk about that. But I also, you know, we had a little text group going back and forth this morning and Dave Tyler uh, suggested, and this was actually somewhat what I intended to do, even though I have my opinion, and my opinion is correct, you're welcome to, to weigh in as well. And uh, so I really want people to say, here's who I think that's talking about. So perhaps in the chat as we go through, uh, you can put your ideas. I'll actually read all these at the close of the class today. Uh, but I would like for this to be sort of a dialogue. People have written to me and said, hey, when's the dialogue coming back? Uh, there are reasons we haven't kicked that back off yet, part of which is I really need to go through the setup for the microphones when we do that particular uh, portion of what we used to do where we would sit around the table. Uh, I want to go through those that uh, technology again and I haven't had the opportunity to get with uh, Dave Cole and perhaps even his son, uh, Michael. So uh, we'll do that as quickly as we can. But in, in lieu of that, if you have a difference of opinion when we get to the close of the class and you think, well, Ross said it was this uh, identity. Here's what I think. I'd like to read what you think. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Our focus is presently on what scholars have identified as the fourth servant song. I've mentioned this in every class. According to academic circles, generally, within the book of Isaiah, according to Bernhard Doom in 1892, he wrote a book in first proposed, the book in English, the title would be called, uh, the book of Isaiah. And in that study, Bernhard Doom identified four servant songs. And, and this section we're dealing with today is the fourth song. It is popularly described as the suffering servant. The suffering servant. So you have the servant songs, and within the servant songs, there is, according to many people... Uh, a description of one servant who goes through a very, very difficult time, times, let's call it plural, 
and therefore earns the title, the suffering servant. So, specifically to this particular song, we are interested in, I'm interested in, I think you're interested in, if possible, coming to an understanding concerning the intended identity of the servant herein described. And again, today, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, At the end of the class, I want to go back through these notes when you're all relaxing, and I just want to read some of your opinions as well. Now, I'm going to begin today's class by reading this particular song, and I want you to listen closely. But I want to tell you about my reading today. I won't be reading it uh, in a form that you've ever heard it before, probably, most of you, because I'm not going to kick my class off today by reading from a popular Jewish or Christian translation of the text. I have something else. I'm going to work through. I'm going to read you 15 verses according to James Tabor's translation as part of the transparent English Bible. And some of you think, wow, I know about the book of Genesis that's been published, and I know that there have been other sections published, or I've heard of it, but I've never seen anything other than the Genesis. This project uh, originally was intended Uh, to get as close to, this is the purpose of this project, to get as close to the original text. It allows you to peer through the English. That's why it's called the Transparent English Bible. It's, you're looking at the English, and underneath that, very dimly you can see the Hebrew that's underlying it. So I'm going to read you uh, these 15 verses. Now, I know that you probably know this, but I have to say it again. When most people discuss this debated topic, they say Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant. I want to put that aside just for a moment and say it in a little more accurate way. We're dealing with 15 verses in 2nd Isaiah that begin, according to the numbering in your Bible, in 52.13 and run without a break through the end of chapter 53. So it's technically not just chapter 53. There are a couple of verses from 52 because we're going from space to space and following the ancient divisions that I've talked about over and over the white spaces in the original text. Also, I want to say uh, one thing else, one thing further about the translation which I am about to read. Uh, This translation of Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 has, uh, it incorporates or pulls into some readings from the Dead Sea Scroll 1Q Isaiah. Now, some of you probably know this, but when you read online or you read a book and it makes a reference to a text from Qumran, the first, uh, the first numeral 
number one indicates the cave that it was found in. So Q stands for Qumran. So if you see one Q, it means cave one from Qumran. Uh, Jodell the other day posted a Dead Sea Scroll, a, a Deuteronomy fragment, which is known as the All Souls Deuteronomy. Um, and that particular uh, scroll fragment is 4Q41. So it's from Cave 4. And uh, so that's just a little bit of side information for you. Well, 1Q Isaiah was discovered. It's a document. It's a, a, a beautiful, beautiful document. And it is the entire book of Isaiah was discovered in uh, Cave 1 at Qumran by the Bedouin. And I talk about this in my book, The Moses Scroll. So some of you are saying, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. So this particular translation does include some interesting variant readings that, uh, that made it into this translation from the Transparent English Bible. So here we go. I'm going to open up, and some of you are saying, wow, I wish I had this. <clears throat> well, this is old. You've, got to, you've had to have been around for a while to get this. But I'll see what I can do to help you out. So here is the suffering servant. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be exalted and lifted up and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was disfigured beyond that of a man and his form beyond that of the sons of man. Thus will he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths over him because that which was not told them, they will see. That which they had not heard, they shall understand. Who has believed our report? And upon whom is the arm of yod vav revealed? So he grew up before him like a tender shoot and as a root from dry ground. He had no beauty and no splendor, so we would look at him, and no appearance, so we would desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and knowing infirmities. And we despised him as one hides the face from him, and we did not consider him. Surely he took up our infirmities and our pains, he carried them, and we considered him beaten, struck of Elohim and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. A chastisement for our wholeness was upon him, and with his wounds there was healing for us. And we, like the sheep, have wandered off. We've turned each one of us to his own way. yod vav has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. Like the lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before the one shearing her is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By restraint and by justice he was taken. And who considered his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living ones. For the transgression of his people, a stroke was upon them. And they appointed his grave with the wicked ones and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence and no deceit was in his mouth, 
And Yode Vavhe was pleased, kafats, to crush him. He caused suffering, though you make his life a guilt offering, he will see seed. He will prolong days, and the delights, the chafets of Yodhe Vavhe, will prosper in his hand. From the anguish of his soul, he will see light. He will be satisfied. In his knowledge, the righteous one will justify my servant to the many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot a portion for him among the many, and with numerous ones, he will divide spoil." Because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with one's transgressing, and he bore the sin of many, and he entreated for the one's transgressing. There it is. There is an accurate English translation of these 15 significant passages. See, it's essential that we begin with what does it say. Now, understand that there are theologies, there are things which make it into a text uh, depending on one's orientation. Christian Bibles might, might, suggesting they might be inclined to insert certain theological suggestions in the translation. Sometimes that comes through pronouns. Sometimes you'll see pronouns are capitalized in an English translation, which makes you think a certain way. There are no capitals in the Hebrew language, just so you know. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have capitals in an English translation. Obviously, we have those in English. But I'm suggesting that you need to begin any study with an accurate translation of what the Hebrew says. Because look, there are a lot of brilliant people who are making their determination of who this is speaking of, but they don't know Hebrew and they're relying on English translations and sometimes that causes them to be misled. So, again, before we concern ourselves with any attempt to discern what it means, we have to determine what it is say. And that's important for any study, not just who is the suffering servant. So this, what I just read, leads us to ask many questions, the chief of which is... Who is this describing? Who is this describing? I touched on this last week, but there's an account in the book of Acts in the Christian New Testament where uh, this uh, eunuch is in a carriage and Philip is running up and uh, Philip asks, he sees that he's reading Isaiah 53 and he, he asks him, do you, uh, do you need some help there, buddy? And the guy said, who is this talking about? Is it Isaiah, is it the prophet, or is it someone else? And that's the main question that is before us even today. Who is the suffering servant? Now, as previously stated, I want to go into this as I unveil who I think it's talking about. Uh, I want to cover quite a bit today. But I want to begin by saying 
that 2 Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 covers quite detailed, in a detailed way, the servant in Isaiah because it appears in uh, 10 chapters 20 times. 20 times we get information about the servant. The chapters are 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 48, 49, uh, 50, 52, and 53. Those 10 chapters all mention the servant. Now, as I build my case, I want you to take note. Here's something that you have to understand going into today's class. Every time, without exception, that the identity or an identity of the servant is revealed in these chapters, every single time that the identity is given, it's Israel and or Jacob. There's not an exception. In these chapters... Whenever you read the servant and a name is attached, okay? I mean by Israel and Jacob, the people of the Lord. Israel, Jacob, physical, a real group, a people, descendants of Abraham and Isaac. And and so I wanted to make sure that you have that first. Because it could be, you might be saying, well, there are some places where the servant is not identified. And maybe in those places, it is someone else. Okay. But I want you to know that every time he is named, it's Jacob and Israel, the people of the Lord. Now, here's something else I want to say as we begin to look at chapter uh, 52, 13 through 53, 12. I want you to know that everything on the preceding and everything which follows deals with Israel. Okay, so if you read chapter 52 all the way up to the break, right before we talk about the servant, if you read everything there before the suffering servant passage, it deals with Israel. If you read, if you skip over the suffering servant passage, and you pick up at the white space afterwards and you read the next chapter, guess what? It's about Israel. So we have all about Israel, suffering servant passage, all about Israel. So in the wider context, we're dealing with uh, this particular fact. Now, if you, I'm, I'm now switching to my Jewish study Bible, the JPS Uh, translation because in this part of the class it's not like I really have to get so literal because I can always go to the Hebrew if I want to make a point Uh, but just to go through quickly uh, I'll tell you let's just begin to look at uh, chapter 52 I want to set the context right so in chapter 52 now you might be able to follow me I just want you to kind of look at this as I go through uh, 52 sort of begins with this idea that, uh, that the, the Zion will be rid of the uncircumcised and the unclean, okay? You were sold for no price. Uh, you were sent to Egypt. Uh, Assyria robbed you. You were carried off for nothing. You were mocked. 
Okay, but then in verse 7 of chapter 52, uh, verse 7, there is a, a change in circumstance. Something happens in verse 7, which sort of takes all that negative stuff. You know, you were sold, you were mocked, you were sent away, you were abused, you were sent to Egypt, Assyria robbed you. you and and then, then in verse 7, it says, How welcome on the mountain are the footsteps of the herald announcing happiness, heralding good fortune, announcing victory, telling Zion, your God is king. So in chapter uh, 52, after going through this miserable state of Israel, then there's a white space in verse, between verse 6 and verse 7, and then things begin to pick up in a positive way. Herald of uh, an arrival of a herald. Uh, Jehovah's return to Zion, comforting his people, bearing his holy arm in the sight of the nations. Victory is going to be seen by all. And then when you get to verse 12 of chapter 52, it's, it's given in a, an exodus motif. It sounds like another exodus here. Look, uh, verse 12. You will not depart in haste, nor will you leave in flight, for Jehovah is marching before you. The God of Israel is your rear guard. So it's this departing from the nations. The children of Israel, uh, in this particular image that we get, they're in a dire straits. They're scattered. They're scattered throughout. Okay? So this is important that we recognize uh, that this is a lead up to. So 52 is all about Israel, who's in a bad state, who's been abused and so forth and, and mistreated, and, and then uh, the, uh, an arrival of, of a figure, the herald. Then we have the next verse is, indeed my servant will prosper, right? But we're going to skip over the servant song, and I want to pick up in chapter 54. So skip all the way to chapter 54, and chapter 54 begins like this. Shout, O barren one, increase offspring. The children of the wife of the forlorn shall outnumber those of the espoused. Now, let me tell you what 54 is about. It's about Israel. Now, is Israel literally a woman forlorn, or is this poetic, you see? Is she really a rejected wife, right? Or is the image there to paint a picture for us? So if you work your way through, you get this calling back, this redemption of a woman, a wife, forlorn and forsaken, forsaken for a while, face is hidden from now, you're going to recognize some language in 52 and 54 that's very similar to what we see in, in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. You're going to see some things. You know, the suffering servant, there is mention of the hiding of the face. Well, in verse 7 of 54, it also mentions the hiding of the face. Anger and rebuke to subside. Every, there's an anger and a hostility against Israel, the forlorn and forsaken and rejected and abused and afflicted woman here. 
but that is going to subside. You know how the, the Bible describes it? As the waters of Noah. It's like a new beginning. See, when the flood waters recede, new life can come. That's the image. It's the image of Isaiah 54 presents the unhappy, storm-tossed, uncomforted woman. But then it begins to give this positive view of the children being happy, safe from oppression. They're fearless. The enemies are defeated. Their weapons rendered ineffectual. What's all this about? What's all this about? Zot nachalot avdei Yehovah. This, this is the way it ends, by the way. Chapter 54 ends with what I just said in Hebrew. Such is the heritage of the servants of Jehovah and their vindication from me, declares Jehovah. So 54 after describing a forlorn and forsaken and rejected wife, a barren one, there is this idea that this is all going to change. And it's going to change in the sight of all the nations. The one who was thought to be the lowest, the rejected, will be exalted That's the image. Chapter 52 is about Israel in a bad place, being saved, comforted, and redeemed. By the way, if you look at Deutero-Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, it is the same story. It's the macro. Israel, here's a message in Isaiah 40, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. The ones who weren't comforted will be comforted. The ones who were rejected will be brought back. The ones who were exiled will be restored. So 52 is about Israel being saved, comforted, and redeemed. Chapter 54 is about Israel being saved, comforted, and restored. All of this is in the sight of the nations, and it's about a vindication In between these two chapters about Israel being abused and afflicted and so forth and then being exalted, we have our text. Now, it could be that this text in the middle is totally unrelated to that which comes before and that which comes after. I will admit, it could be. question is... Is it? In between these two is a text which has caused a great debate, perhaps one of the greatest debates. And I love how people are constantly looking for uh, a new interpretation, a new understanding of the text. You know, and some people believe that they have special insight into this. And I I look for those kind of things. I'm always wanting to know, what does this person see in this text? And then I go look at it and see, is that way, does that uh, hold up to what's presented there? But this debate 
the identity has been argued forever. This is the Jewish study Bible note. Listen to this. Uh, uh, on this section, 5213 through 5312, Jewish study Bible has this note. One of the most difficult and contested passages in the Bible. These 15 verses have attracted an enormous amount of attention from ancient, medieval, and modern scholars. In particular, the identity of the servant is vigorously debated. And then it goes into, here are some options. Here's who some have said it was. Because look, this class today uh, by Ross is not the first time that this has ever... I'm not the first one who ever said, I wonder who that's talking about. No. This is one of the, the biggest debates in the history of, uh, uh, of, of biblical understanding. People have wrestled with that. There are different options. Is it the people of Israel? Is it uh, a faithful remnant of people within Israel, an Israel within the Israel, a group within the group? Or is it the Messiah, uh, a Messiah? First of all, I always like to point this out. Messiah is not mentioned anywhere in this. But let me tell you who believes that this is messianic. Jews believe, you know, there are Jewish, let me say this, there are Jews who believe that this is messianic. And we get records of their opinions in Jewish literature, in the Talmud and in the Midrashim. Uh, these, uh, uh, these Midrash are very interesting. In fact, I... I have one, I just happen to have one right here on my desk because I wanted to read it to you. Uh, this one is called Midrash Pasikta Rabbah. All right. This particular Midrash says the following. This is uh, according to the context, God, or in the Midrash, this is not in the scripture. In the Midrash, God is speaking to the Messiah. Here we go. Their sins will be upon you like a yoke of iron. They will choke your spirit. Because of their sins, your tongue will cleave to the roof of your mouth. Do you accept this? If not, I will remove the decree from you. The Messiah replies, Master of the worlds, how long will this last? God replies, Ephraim... My true Messiah, ever since the six days of creation, you've taken this ordeal upon yourself. At this moment, your pain is my pain. And the Messiah replies, Master of the worlds, I accept this with gladness in my soul and joy in my heart so that not a single one of the house of Israel should perish. Not only for those alive, but also the dead. It is enough that the servant be like the master. Midrash, Pasik de Rabbah, 36. Interesting passage. And what we have is we have other Jewish literature that identifies Isaiah 53 with the Messiah. There, where it talks about how he is afflicted and so forth, the rabbis in the Talmud, one reference says that this Messiah is the Messiah who has leprosy, the leper scholar. 
And you can find that in Sanhedrin, in Sanhedrin 98 and 99, where it talks about possibilities uh, for the Messiah. Uh, But this idea, this Midrash is interesting because the Messiah who's speaking is Ephraim. Now, remember, a Midrash is something that's allegorical. So what this Midrash is telling us is that the Messiah who is speaking in Isaiah 53 or in this particular Midrash is the suffering Messiah, which is a people known as Ephraim. Now, some have proposed that this text is a historical person, that the person that the one being described here is not a people, but a specific person. Uh, And there are various candidates for this. Um, Some of the ones that have been proposed in Jewish literature or Christian literature, you have Moses, you have Elijah, you have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you have Jesus, and others that are based on words and phrases from the text found in in various uh, other places in Scripture. Uh, Patty Tyler sent me some things that she worked up that are that are fascinating, where she ties together the clues. She's done a lot of work on this, where she's tied together a lot of the clues that are in this section on the suffering servant, and shown that in many many occurrences it lines up with Hezekiah. Interesting. Hezekiah is a godly king. He lives at the time of Isaiah. Could he be the suffering servant? Look at, again, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a candidate that I have considered quite often. Sadia Gaon, uh, this great Jewish scholar, that's his pick. It's Mordecai Schreiber's pick. You know, uh, this is not anything new here. This is interesting. And I'll tell you one of the key places. Look with me at Jeremiah. Wait, first of all. Let me, let me say while you're in Isaiah 53, if you have the Jewish study Bible, the note here mentions Jeremiah as a candidate. It says, uh, because of the marked similarities between the language describing the servant and Jeremiah's description of himself, Sadia Gaon argued that the text refers to Jeremiah. Now, by the way, there's a misprint in the Jewish study Bible. Only Bible nerds like me find typos and wrong references. Uh, The Jewish study Bible says that you can find this in Jeremiah 10, 18 through 24. But the truth is you will not find it there. You'll find it in Jeremiah 11, 18 through 24. So, Jeremiah 11... Let's look at that, and I want to read you verse 18. Uh, Jeremiah 11, 18, The Lord informed me, and I knew. Then you let me see their deeds, for I was like a lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that it was against me that they fashioned their plots. Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. O Jehovah of hosts, O just judge, who test the thoughts and the mind, let me see your retribution upon them, for I lay my case before you. Now, there's some interesting correlation between 
Jeremiah 11, 18 through 24, and other passages in Jeremiah, and the suffering servant. Even in this few verses here, led like a lamb to the slaughter, uh, let us destroy, cut him off from the land of the living. There are other things that made uh, past researchers think that Jeremiah might be the servant. And some of those are quite interesting. You know, it's this constant reference to the servant. There are six passages which say, from the womb, I knew you. And people go, ah, Jeremiah 1 says, from the womb. Okay, so this is an interesting, interesting proposal. Um, Jesus of Nazareth. New Testament writers quote from these 15 verses. These 15, Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. New Testament writers quote from those 15 verses uh, 10 times. 10 times. In Matthew chapter 8, the eighth reason proof or the eighth proof text that Matthew pulls in is from this section of Scripture. In other words, he, he, Matthew, as you know, if you recall, or some of you might be Christians, I don't know, but if you read Matthew, Matthew's point is to use text from the Hebrew Scriptures to say, aha, our guy fits. And Matthew 8 is the eighth such proof text of Matthew, and it's, tally, it's telling us that these verses are uh, about Jesus. And, and that, you know, not only these passages in the New Testament, but Christian theology adopted this and said, this is our guy. Look, it fits. He, he suffered uh, like no one else. Jesus, according to Luke 24, see, this is all off memory. I hadn't looked at this in a while. But he says uh, in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Messiah to have suffered and then to enter his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus says, Moses wrote of me. There are all these passages in the New Testament which say, you see that? That's this. Now, again, Interesting. Now, people can go through and say, well, but he didn't do this. He didn't do that. He wasn't the guy. You could do that with Jeremiah, too. You can do that with Hezekiah. It's interesting to note the similarities between Jesus and Jeremiah, too. And again, I'm talking historically. People who might be logging in and saying, well, you know, I'm not a Christian. Well, just relax. I'm not either. What I'm saying, though, is that from a historical standpoint, we have these connections that are interesting. According to what we read in Jeremiah, he begins his prophetic ministry 40 years before the destruction of the first temple. Jesus of Nazareth prophesies during the 40 years prior to the destruction of the second temple. Both, by the way, predicted the fall of the temple. Jesus used Jeremiah's words to say that uh, the temple would be destroyed again. Again, there are people who historically, critically look at this and say that text was written later and put into the... Well, look, the minimalists are going to do that with every text, from the Hebrew Bible to the New Testament to anything. But, but just work with me here. They both challenge the religious leaders of the day, and it put both of them in a very bad place on the opposite end of the law. 
neither of which, at least according to what we know, were married. Now, I have read this until I just can't stand it without saying something. People often make fun of and pick at and say, Jesus can't even be in the consideration for any of these things because he's a Jewish male, he's 30 years old, and he's not married. You all sound like Jewish mothers when you say that. That doesn't have to be the case. Jeremiah was not allowed to be married. We learn this in Jeremiah chapter 16. Now, some people may say, well, Jesus was married. We know that he, had a, he was married to Mary Magdalene, and, and uh, I'm not suggesting that maybe that's not possible. What I'm suggesting is, though, that we know that Jesus of Nazareth, the historical Jesus, is in the same text, and he's reading Jeremiah. Clearly, in Jeremiah 16, he, Jeremiah 16 talks about fishers of men, The very first thing out the gate in Jesus' ministry, he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Clearly drawing on Jeremiah. Well, in the same chapter, it says you can't be married. Maybe he saw that and said, well, I guess I can't be married. My point is that these two both considered candidates for the suffering servant are dealing in the same text. They're all in the same text. The question is, does Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12 describe an individual or a group? Now, we have to look at that one more time. I'm just going to go through quickly now and and hit the pronouns, Okay. Just, just listen to the pro. I'm just going to give you snippets all the way through to do it quickly. Behold, my servant, he will be exalted and lifted up. His appearance was disfigured beyond that of a man. His form beyond that of the sons of men. He will startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths over him. Right? So he grew up like a tender shoot. He had no beauty that we would look at him uh, or that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected, a man of pains. Uh, and we despised him, uh, hid a face from him, did not consider him. Surely he took up our, our infirmity. He carried them. We considered him beaten and struck. He was pierced. The chastisement of our wholeness was upon him with his wounds, his wounds. Iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. So did he not open his mouth. By restraint and justice, he was taken. You following me? I'm not done yet. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of his people. And they appointed his grave in his death, though he had done no violence. In his mouth, crush him, he caused suffering. Make his life a guilt offering. He will see seed. He will prolong days, uh, prosper in his hand, anguish of his soul. He will see light in his knowledge. He will carry. He will divide the spoil. Because he poured out his soul to death, he was numbered. He bore the sin of many. He, all right, I mean, he, 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 he. You say, well, could that be it? Well, I mean, contextually in reading it, it it seems to be describing uh, in masculine singular 
pronouns this figure. Now, you know, there are other questions. People go, well, who's speaking? Who is, uh, you know, is it the nations of the world? Tovia Singer has a big section on this in, in his work, which represents primarily the Jewish view. Uh, is it the nations of the world that are speaking? So you get into all sorts of questions about who is the people that are being talked about? Who, who are the people that are talking? Who are the kings that will shut their mouth and so forth? But here's what I want you to know. I counted that there are 53, interesting number, I think it's cool, 53 times the masculine singular pronoun is used in 53, in Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. 53 times, he, 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 him, 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 he. <clears throat> now I want you to listen. I want to go through kind of a recap. Physical characteristics as clues, okay? Now, you, you're going to probably want to wait on, on John uh, Brooke Perry's notes on this because I, I wrote these last night, so they're kind of lengthy. <clears throat> Physical characteristics derived from the text. We're talking about the suffering servant. The appearance and form uh, is disfigured. No beauty, splendor that we would look at him or consider him. Man of pains, knowing infirmities. We get the idea that the suffering servant is being described as sick or sickly, injured, uh, in fact, abused, and and, uh, so forth, right? Uh, There is another section that I identify that I just labeled uh, abuse maltreatment of the suffering servant. We read that the servant is despised and rejected, beaten, struck, and afflicted, pierced, crushed, wounded, oppressed, afflicted, crushed, suffered, anguished, numbered with one's transgressing. All of these ideas about abuse and maltreatment are important. And then I have a section called his willingness, uh, acceptance, or at least his uh, response to this treatment and so forth, says the servant will act wisely, uh, silent, not, not, going, uh, not opening the mouth. That, that phrase is used twice, not opening the mouth. Uh, did no violence, no deceit was found in his mouth. So not only is he honest, um, but doesn't speak... Um, doesn't speak at all in in response to enemies, I guess you would say. Uh, The role in all this of the suffering servant took up infirmities, pains. It says he carried them, okay? This, This individual or this figure or this people, the suffering servant, is pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Chastisement uh, for our wholeness is on him, healing for us with his wounds. Iniquity of us all fell to him. Life is a guilt offering and entreated for the ones transgressing. All of those deal with the role 
of the suffering servant. Then you get into the demise, the end of the end for the suffering servant. By restraint and justice, he was taken, cut off from the land of the living. The grave is with the wicked ones, plural, and this person or this servant poured out the soul to death. It seems, it seems that this person dies. And you could say, well, it's symbolic, it's a metaphor. I mean, it could be. I mean, remember, 52 and 54 both deal with Israel. 54 uh, compares Israel to a wife. You know, the nation is a, is a woman. So what's the reward for the suffering servant? Exalted and lifted up and very high. Recognized by kings will startle nations. Kings will shut their mouths. Uh, this servant is rewarded in that they'll see seed, length of days. The delight of Jehovah prospers in the servant's hand. The, the servant will see light, be satisfied. The servant will be allotted a portion among the many. Um, and with uh, the numbered ones, divide the spoil. It certainly sounds like an individual. And that's why people have come up with various individuals. Is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Is it Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel? You know, who, who is it? But without going point by point, let us consider a couple of clues that people typically miss. If you look at verse 9 in Isaiah 53, verse 9, it says, 53, 9, And they appointed his grave with the wicked ones and with the rich in his deaths. Plural. Now, what does your translation say? Some translations will say singular, but in the Hebrew, it's plural. In fact, in verse 8, some translations also have trouble with this. He was cut off from the land of the living ones for the transgression of his people. A stroke was upon, some translations say him, but in the Hebrew, it's them. So, now that makes a big difference. If, if I say his death, singular, you're thinking of an individual. But if I say in his deaths, it's plural. It might be that this is suggesting a group. In Isaiah 53.3, uh, it says he was despised. Now, in Second Isaiah, in all the passages about the servant, that despised only occurs in one other place, and it's Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, please go there with me. <clears throat> in, uh, in chapter 49... This is a servant song. In fact, it's Bernhard Doom's uh, second 
servant song or poem. And it says in chapter 49, let me just make sure you know who it is. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I glory. Who's speaking? Israel. Who's, who's the servant? Israel. Israel the servant is speaking. And look at verse 7. <clears throat> this is a dialogue between Jehovah and his servant. Thus says Jehovah, the redeemer of Israel, his holy one, to the despised one, to the abhorred nations. Okay? Now this translation, I just wanted to point out that Israel, the servant, is called despised one. And in Isaiah 53.3, we read that this servant, the despised one, is about to be very, very much redeemed. Only in 49.7 and two places in Isaiah 53.3 do we get this particular um, use of this word. This is about the servant of the Lord. I believe that we're talking about a group within the larger group. I believe that there are some similarities between Jeremiah, let's say, or Jesus of Nazareth. You can find various things where you go, oh, that sounds very... But it's an allegory in some ways. We know from 2nd Isaiah, it's very, very clear. Every time he tells us who the servant is, it's Israel, it's Israel. But you say, but in Isaiah 49, the servant is going, in a text which says, let me make this point really clear before I go on. In chapter 49, verse 3, you are my servant Israel in whom I glory. Now look down at verse 5. And now... The Lord is resolved, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to himself that Israel may be restored to him. We know that Israel is the servant in this passage. And Israel has a job as the servant to bring back the larger group. You see that? Isaiah 43.10, for instance, says, You are my witnesses, plural, and my servant, singular, whom I have chosen. You're a group, and you're my servant. You see, Israel has always been the servant. Always called, saved to serve. From the time they were in the land of Egypt. Let my people go. Send forth my people that they might serve me. Servant, 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 servant. The problem is, is that the servant nation, the larger group, uh, the majority, are blind and deaf. But there is a faithful group, a remnant group, uh, a group within the group whose task it is, Isaiah 49, uh, 5 through 7, uh, where it says that you, the servant nation, your job, the servant within the servant, is to bring back the nation. Okay, now, as you work through, one other thing that I want to bring up, this group within the larger group appears to be in exile. 
And there are some reasons for that. In the Bible where it talks about out of the land of the living, a lot of times that indicates that you are not, the land of the living is the land of Israel, the, the promised land. To be out of the land of the living is to be in exile. Is it compared to death? Yes, in fact, it is. Ezekiel 37 talks about this, uh, this valley of dry bones and, and there is a coming together and I will bring you forth from your graves in the nations and bring you back to the land. You see? Now, there's another clue where it talks about the arm of the Lord. Look at Isaiah 52.10. This is right before we get into um, the... Uh, suffering servant. By the way, the suffering servant talks about who, uh, unto whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. What does that mean? Here's the, here's the bottom line. The arm of the Lord means um, it, it's always in the eyes of the nations and indicates redemption from the nations. In other words, you've been rescued. Look at 52.10. The Lord, Jehovah, will bear his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And the very ends of the earth shall see the victory of our God. Look, let me go through a few more with you. Uh, let's go through the passages in Deuteronomy because in the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy is mainly the place where you find. You do have two references in Exodus, but Deuteronomy 4, I just want to go through a couple of these about the arm of the Lord. <clears throat> Deuteronomy four thirty four. Um, let's see. Has any God ventured to go and take for himself one nation from the midst of another by prodigious acts, by signs importance, by war, by mighty and an outstretched arm and awesome power as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? This outstretched arm, this mighty and strong arm of the Lord is mentioned over and over. Look at chapter 5, uh, Deuteronomy five fifteen. Uh, let's see. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God freed you from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See, you go through. Look, I'll just go through them quickly. Look at 7, Deuteronomy seven nineteen. Seven nineteen says, um, The wondrous acts that you saw with your own eyes, the signs of portents, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which Jehovah your God liberated you. Now, here are the others. Chapter 9, verse 29, chapter 11, verse 12, chapter 26, verse 8. Now, those are in the Pentateuch. They predict, they speak of uh, a salvific act by the Creator on behalf of His people. The mighty arm will be revealed means don't worry if you're in exile. Redemption and restoration and return are coming because he's about to act. Interesting that this phrase appears in Isaiah 53. Kings of the earth are putting their hands over their mouth and, and you know, what in the world is going on? Now, just quickly, go with me to Isaiah 40 because what we have when we talk about the arm of the Lord being revealed in Isaiah 40 and verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes in might and his arm wins triumph for him. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. 
Like a shepherd, he pastors his flock, he gathers the lambs. Imagery that's going to play throughout Deutero-Isaiah appears early on in Isaiah 40. So you get this idea that there is redemption that's associated with the arm of the Lord, and it appears over and over. Look at 48, Isaiah 48, uh, verse 14. Uh, Assemble all of you and listen. Who among you foretold these things? He whom Jehovah loves shall work his will against Babylon and with his might against Chaldea. This particular passage in the Hebrew uh, includes the arm of the Lord. So it's a rescue here. He goes on and he talks about it. Now look at verse chapter 51, verse 5. 51 and verse 5. Uh The triumph I grant is near. The success I give has gone forth. My arms shall provide for the people. The coastlands shall trust in me. They will look to my arm. The idea is that they're going to see this redemption of God. Look down at verse 9, Isaiah 51, verse 9. Awake, awake, Uh, clothe yourself with splendor, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, as in former ages, it was you that hacked Rahab in pieces, that pierced the dragon. It was you that dried up the sea and so forth. This is, again, it's talking about redemption. Verse 11, so the ransomed of Jehovah return and come with shouting to Zion, crowned with joy everlasting and so forth. Let them attain joy and gladness while sorrow and sighing flee. It's a twist It's the good guys win at the end. They've been abused. They've been mistreated. They've been maligned and tortured and killed. Chapter 59. Go to Isaiah 59, verse 16. Isaiah 59, verse 16. He saw that there was no man. He gazed long, but no one intervened. Then his own arm won him triumph. His victorious right hand supported him. He donned victory like a coat of mail. With a helmet of triumph on his head, he clothed himself with garments of retribution, wrapped himself in zeal as in a robe, according to their uh, debt. And goes on. Okay, so the idea, again, it is redemption is coming. Look at 63. couple more. couple more. Uh, Isaiah 63 and verse 5. Then I looked... But there was no, no one to help. I stared, but there was none to aid. So my own arm wrought the triumph, and my own rage was my aid. I trampled people in my anger, made them drunk, and so forth with my rage. And I hurled their glory to the ground. The story that we encounter in Isaiah 52 is about Israel being ultimately exalted the story that we get in isaiah 54 is the same the story that we get in isaiah 40 through 66 is about the salvation of israel who has paid dearly for their sins they paid double the warfare is over the the one who was servant to rulers just as they were in the days of egypt 
will be rescued from that to their true role as servant of Jehovah. This, Isaiah 54, closes with this is the heritage of the servants of Jehovah. The suffering servant will in the end be exalted. The servant within the servant whose task it is to bring back Jacob, to bring back Israel. They've been despised and rejected, but they'll be restored. All those who hated Israel, Jacob, will be forced to see that God has exalted his servant, his son, just as in Egypt, let my son go or I'll slay your son, so it will be here, let my servant go, and it will happen just as it says. Imagine the nation which has been ridiculed and time after time throughout history have been murdered and killed through gas chambers and holocaust and pogroms and all of these things, their, their very heritage has been stolen from them by other religionists. But God will say, not so. This will shake the world. This will cause people to put their hands over their mouth. It is interesting to me that whenever Israel is abused and afflicted, quite often suffering, throughout history, their opponents have said they deserve that. Now, if you happen to be from a religion who looks positively at the servant suffering uh, as a redemptive part, Isn't it interesting that some, about two billion at least, can look at this text and say, the role of the servant's suffering is to bring about uh, healing and so forth. But if it's Israel that's suffering, historically people have said, you did that to yourself. It's just an unfair way. Of looking at it. But at last, when Israel is restored, which is the singular most uh, prophesied event in all of the Tanakh, when this comes about, the world will say, I never would have thought that the rejected, the ones who uh, have been abused and maligned and mistreated and tortured and killed and and that is God, that, that throughout history, there have been countless righteous souls who in some way fit the description of Israel's suffering servant. And you know, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Christian, but from a historical standpoint, I can look at a Jeremiah And recognize that for the sake of the kingdom of God, he suffered daily.
I can look at Jesus of Nazareth. And he suffered. I can look at those who were led naked into gas chambers because of who they were. And I can say they suffered greatly. The servant has suffered unimaginably through history. And yet ultimately, the servant will be exalted. And everyone will be forced to look at this and recognize that they have abused and mistreated the very one that God singled out to be the servant. Servant is mentioned 20 times in 10 chapters. Every time it's named, it's Israel and Jacob. Why is this passage any different? I'll tell you what I think. It's because it's the most positive vindication of the people that God chose in Scripture and others want it. Now, all of a sudden, people want to be or want their character or their figure or their person to be that servant. I'm not denying that other historical people didn't fit, but I'm saying don't take from the people who paid doubly that which God is going to give them. You do not want to be on that side. I believe that this is talking about the servant within the servant for these reasons. The consistent identity of Israel as the servant. The context of chapter 52 and chapter 53 on either side telling in different ways the same story of being abased and yet being redeemed and brought back. I believe that 52 and 54 sandwich 53, which also tells the how. I believe that Isaiah 40 through 66 deals with the restoration and the redemption of Israel as the greatest thing that has ever happened. I believe the plurality of deaths indicate The plurality of deaths in his deaths indicates that this is not a singular figure, although 53 times in Isaiah 53, 52, 13 through 53, 12, uh, it's used in the singular masculine. I think it's talking about a group. And I believe that the use of despised in Isaiah 49, 7 and 53, 3, is a very strong indicator, a hint that this is, because it's the only other place it's used. All of these lead me to think that the servant that's being described in 52, 13 through 53, 12 is Israel, Jacob, whose role willingly accepted will ultimately bring about a restoration of the whole. God has shown himself willing in the past 
to spare the large for the righteous small. Thank God that throughout history, we've had a righteous remnant who've suffered, but ultimately God will restore them. They will be exalted and very high. That's my view on the suffering servant. I want you all to feel free. I'm interested in your take on this. Some of you may have different views. I really want to read through these this afternoon. So uh, continue to comment here and uh, let me know who you think it is. You know, my view is one view, but what do you think? Is it a person? Is it a group? We'll be back next week for another class from the Scripture. And don't forget, if you are interested in participating in the United Israel uh, Business Meeting, our annual 78th annual United Israel Business Meeting, uh, send me an email, rosskaynichols at me.com, and I'll give you some more details. Shabbat Shalom, Shavuot Tov. Be blessed. I'll see you next week.